0: Breaking news, everybody. The Capitol has been stormed. A bunch of soldiers have come in and arrested people at every level of the government. Trump has ascended with angel wings, and he's now the president. Oh, wait. None of that ever happened. Huh. I wonder why. Because the mainstream media promised us that it was going to happen everywhere, or at least that the Q people believed that it was going to happen, and they were going to go out and riot in the Capitol until it happened. And, well... That never happened either. So, well, we'll talk about uh, where that came from and what that means and what's going on with that. In other news, Ron Johnson grinds the debate over the uh, stimulus package to a halt. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. Mitch McConnell attempts to change Kentucky law to make sure that he gets to pick a successor, which means that uh, I don't know if he believes he's going to make it six years. So we'll talk a bit about that. And Michael Brown's father demands that BLM pay him $20 million because they raise money for him and he hasn't seen it yet. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. Uh, the attack on the Capitol. Where were the Q people? The mainstream media promised me that Q people would be out there en masse, that they had to have the National Guard out there forever to save the government from the Q people, and it just it didn't happen. And they're going to try and move the goalpost again, by the way, just so you know. So we'll talk a bit about that, plus a bunch of other news to get to. But before we do any of that, head on over there and check out my friends over at the FreedomScoop Media Group. You can find us over at freedomscoop.com. We are still under construction, so pardon our dust. But as you head over there, you can also go over to the various streaming platforms and find our friends, The Generational Gap. The Daily Ignoramus, who put on a great show last night, actually used his show as a little bit of an audio backdrop uh, last night to test the audio, because remember yesterday, we didn't have any audio coming back through over on the uh, on the Big Six over on the YouTube and uh, the D Live and the Trobo side, because none of that was, I mean, it was going through my headphones, but for whatever reason, it wasn't transmitting back out to you guys. But I got that fixed. Um, I tested it with one of the clips that I tried to look at yesterday with Biden lying behind the mask. It's all working up again. Everything is looking good right now, so that is all fixed, and um, you can also find The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-rated Conservative, The Freckles and Brit Show, and more, so go over there, bookmark the page, and once we get back up and running, you can pick up some of our swag, throw donations, and help us support great creators, and by the way, you can also donate in links in the description below, you can find my PayPal, and my Subscribestar, uh, Subscribestar is great, although I do owe my subscribers the march email so to let them know i'm going to do that over the weekend and get that out so you guys know what's going on with the channel and where i intend to spend the money that you guys throw in there because it's not just come in and i go out and pocket it i actually use that money to go out and uh help improve the channel and everything so with that go on over there and bookmark the page all right looking in at the stocks here The Dow Jones dropped pretty heavily yesterday, and we'll have a little bit of a discussion on what happened there. It looks like it's going to come back. A lot of people were going around Twitter saying it's the Biden stock market crash. Well, it wasn't. It was a 700-point drop. It's a correction. That's all it really is. So we'll talk a bit about what happened there. On Bitcoin, Bitcoin dropped slightly again. Now we're down to $47,647.80 US cents. I did not put the gas buddy up because I'm not used to doing that yet. So bear with me a little bit on that. Look how long it took me to remember to get the Bitcoin up every day. So um, we'll be watching that as well. So check that out on Monday, what the gas is doing in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Just this tweet I want to put out here before we get into here. Rice posting his W's online says, How can it be Biden's fault for the stock market crash if he's an illegitimate president? The crash is Trump's fault, sweetie. Because illegitimate President Biden tweeted out the Biden hashtag stock market crash is in full effect. And Moody Redhead, who is a great follower on Twitter, replied to Rice saying, Already trying to pretend he's not responsible for his own presidency. Damn, that was fast. And once again, I've got to throw the correction on there because this, this wasn't a stock market crash. Yes, it dropped. And yes, I'm anticipating more drop, especially considering that the jobs report was dismal. And that just came out yesterday, so just absolute dismal jobs report. So I'm anticipating more of this, but this, this was a correction. This was not a crash. Let's see what IBD has to say about it, though. From Investors Business Daily, Dow Jones Futures. Rise after the Fed Chief Powell triggers clear market break. What you should do now, from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures rose modestly Friday morning along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures erasing overnight losses as treasury yields backed off overnight highs. The February jobs report looms before the open. The stock market suffered heavy losses Thursday after Fed chief Jerome Powell didn't seem too concerned about rising treasury yields and gave no hints about a policy twist to cool long-term rates. Broadcom reported earnings late Thursday. The Dow Jones, S&P 500, NASDAQ, and Russell 2000 broke below recent lows Thursday. The latest battering for an ailing stock market, Treasury yields jumped. Tesla sold off hard while Taiwan semiconductor dove below its 50-day line. NVIDIA, in service now, plunged to long-term support levels. Tesla stock, perhaps the most important stock over the past year, has a long way to go before hitting clear support levels. Google Parent Alphabet, Microsoft, Vail, Five Below, and Polaris are five stocks holding up relatively well near possible buy points. But there were a few safe havens in the stock market Thursday. Mining stocks, which have been big winners amid a shift to real economy names, were big losers Freeport. McMoran tumbled 6.6%. Rising treasury yield spreads are good news for financials, but JP Morgan Chase fell 1.5%. Flagstar Bank Corp which flashed an early buy signal Wednesday and briefly broke out Thursday morning, reversed lower for a 4.1% loss. Fed Chief Powell said in a Thursday midday speech that recent bond action caught my attention, adding that we would be concerned by disorderly conditions in financial markets, but he didn't say that recent stock and bond market swing meets uh, swings rather meet that threshold. He also didn't give clear guidance about what the Federal Reserve might do in response. Specifically, Powell didn't broach the idea of having uh, reviving Operation Twist, in which Fed buyers, uh, Fed rather buys longer-term debt and sells short-term debt to try and bring down the long-term rates. The next Fed meeting is March 16th to 17th, so policymakers may take action then or provide more guidance about what moves they might make. More broadly, Powell said monetary policy remains very ac- uh, accommodative. He also didn't sound concerned about higher inflation, well, just... Print off the money and then tell me how concerned you are about it. Policymakers have been signaling they want more inflation, even willing to see price increases top 2% for an extended period, with reviving employment its main concern. On the futures, Dow futures today rose 0.3% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures advanced 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures climbed uh, 0.4%, reversing solid Thursday night losses. Futures were paying close attention to the 10-year Treasury yield. It's up two basis points to 1.57%. That's after Thursday's big gains and overnight highs of 1.58%. The dollar hit a three-month high. I'm sure it did, and I'm sure it's going to drop. Crude oil futures kept rising, surging 4.2% Thursday on the surprise OPEC Plus decision to keep production cuts in place through April. And there's your gas prices going up. So that's what we're seeing from that market. Let's see what CNBC has to say. Dow falls more than 300 points as Powell fails to ease rate fears. NASDAQ goes negative on the year from Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. U.S. stocks fell sharply on Thursday after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell failed to reassure investors that the central bank would keep surging bond yields and inflation expectations in check. The S&P 500 closed the wild session, down 1.3%, to 376847 after dropping 2.5% at its session low. The Dow Jones thrith, uh, slid 345.95 points, or 1.1%, to 3092414 At one point, the blue-chip benchmark tumbled more than 700 points. The Nasdaq composite fell 2.1% to 12,723.47 as growth stocks led the declines amid raising rates. Tesla shares dropped nearly 5%. With Thursday's steep sell-off, the Nasdaq turned negative on the year. With a 1.3% loss, the tech-heavy benchmark also fell into correction territory on an intraday basis, down more than 10% from its recent 52-week high. So that's what we're seeing from that. The markets are down. The federal government doesn't know what's going on. And people still want to go back and print money. And Powell can't tell you that it's not going to inflate. So we'll see what happens with this. We'll see what happens with the markets over the weekend, what the futures hold. And we'll watch it happen on Monday again. All right. Let's get into the news of the day. Starting with Newsweek. QAnon theorists switch date to March 20th after no Trump inauguration called the 4th a false flag. There you go. Kick the can down the road once again and they can continue to talk about what the Q people believe. So, as we all know, the National Guard is still stationed in the U.S. Capitol. Because they anticipated that on March 4th, which was supposedly the day of the last legitimate president, Ulysses S. Grant, which I don't understand the meaning behind that, or why MAGA people would even get behind anything like that. But, I digress on that. Now it's going to be March 20th, and I have yet to see any confirmation from even somebody that has Q in his profile to say that this is actually going to happen. You know who I do see talking about this? People with hashtag resist in their profile. People with a blue wave in their profile. People who have no personality now that Trump isn't tweeting incessantly. That's who I see talking about this. I have yet to see a Trump supporter talk about the real inauguration day. I have yet to, and yet, here we are now talking about doing this again on March 20th. From Emily Satchor. As federal law enforcement agencies brace for QAnon conspiracy theorists to exchange in potential acts of violence on Thursday, leading affiliates of the far right extremist movement seem to amend formerly held beliefs about the significance of March 4th. QAnon, a viral set of online conspiracy theories published are pushed predominantly by followers of former President Donald Trump gained widespread notoriety ahead of most recent general election, supporters believe, a range of false conspiracies, whose overarching theme alleges that distinguished Democrats belong to a secret global network of sex traffickers and Satan worshippers that Trump was appointed to disband. Proponents for QAnon were responsible for spreading misinformation and disinformation about a number of issues from COVID-19 to the Black Lives Matter movement during the months leading up to November's election. Originally, QAnon theorists believed that Trump would resume his place in the White House on March 4th, the standing presidential inauguration day prior to the 20th Amendment's passage in 1933. Inaugurations took place on January 20th, the day President Joe Biden was sworn into office earlier this year after that. And now we know what QAnon was, and people have come out and correctly identified this as the biggest PSYOP to date at this point. And that's what it was. And I honestly, I know that there are Trump supporters who got on board with this, but I really think that this whole thing was seeded by Democrats trying to discredit Trump supporters by saying, look, look at the crazy shit that they believe. Which they do believe crazy shit, don't get me wrong. But once again, I don't see anything coming from the Trump right on any of this. All I see is Newsweek talking about this. All I see is CNET, Newsweek, MSDNC. All I see is outlets like that talking about this. So I don't know where they're getting any of this from. And somebody came out and told me, oh, it's all over the q Well, show me where it is on the q And yet here I get articles from Newsweek and CNET and other left-wing outlets. Still nothing from the Q-verse, so... Unless you can bring me to the Q-verse and show me where they say that they're going to take over the Capitol on March 4th or March 20th. Well, you're lying. That's all that I have to say about that. All right. Dave Rubin has a nice uh, retort to this as well. QAnon theorists switch date to March 20th after no Trump inauguration called the 4th a false flag, the article we just read there. And then he's got this uh, nice picture here from Star Wars. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Rest in peace, Sir Alec Guinness. Thanks, Dave. All right, I got one here from The Hill. House Democrat sits on Capitol steps, uh, steps rather to protest extremist threat. Representative Al Green is sending a message to QAnon and right-wing extremist threats by sitting on the Capitol steps on Thursday. The date authorities warned militia groups were potentially planning another breach of the building. I want to make a statement to let people know, those who would threaten those of us who cherish this freedom, that we have here, that we refuse to allow the threats to negate our freedom, he told the Hill. Capitol Police and the FBI have cautioned that militia groups that took part in the uh, deadly insurrection at the uh, Capitol on January 6th, when a group of Trump supporters attempted to disrupt the certification of the Electoral College votes, had drafted plans for a second attack on March 4th, where, show me where, show me where they plan to do this once again. Some conspiracy theorists have spread the idea that former President Trump will be inaugurated on that date, despite losing the November presidential election. Green's decision to peacefully protest comes after Congress canceled votes on Thursday. House Democrats accelerated the passage of a police reform bill on Wednesday night due to the news of credible threats emerging. Where were the threats? That's all I have to say. Where were the threats? I love my country, and I believe that freedom is not free, he tweeted. Others have made great sacrifices to the freedoms I enjoy. I refuse to surrender our nation's capital to those who would abridge my freedom, hence, as a matter of personal principle, I will be on the capital complex today. And that he did. This is the tweet that I got the article from. And Rob O'Donnell quote tweets it, saying back, So brave with fencing razor wire, and 10,000 armed troops between him and the public. So brave. So brave. Alright, from the AP, I will be right back in just a second. Please uh, enjoy this nice little bit of music from Mr. Stephen Ignoramus in my absence. Sorry about that. I thought somebody was beating on my door. Turned out to be the neighbor's door. So, apologize. Alright, let's get back into it. Police request a 60-day extension of National Guard at U.S. Capitol. From Lolita C. Baldor. The Capitol Police have requested that members of the National Guard continue to provide security at the U.S. Capitol for another two months, the Associated Press has learned. Defense officials say the new proposal is being reviewed by the Pentagon, and negotiations between the department, the police, and congressional authorities are ongoing. The request to keep as many as 2,200 guard troops in D.C. underscores the continuing concerns about the security and the potential for violence at the Capitol. Two months after rioters breached the building in violence that the left Five people dead, and it came as law enforcement was on high alert Thursday around the Capitol after intelligence uncovered a possible plot by militia group to storm the building. It didn't happen. None of this happened. None of this was coming forward. The potential plot was tied to the far-right conspiracy theory promoted by QAnon supporters that former President Donald Trump would rise again to power on March 4th, the original Presidential Inauguration Day. There were no signs of disturbances Thursday, but the Capitol Police's request for extended guard assistance appeared mired in confusion within various congressional oversight authorities, according to letters obtained by the AP. So, they've got two more months of this, so uh, just just we'll go a little bit more. Don't worry, it's only going to be a little bit more. Don't worry, don't ask questions or anything. It's We're just going to stay here a little bit more. It makes you wonder if there's oil under the Capitol building, doesn't it? So, that's what we see from that. Let's keep going here. i got another one from the Hill. Q Shaman is wounded. Trump hasn't helped him. From Joseph Choi. The man, known as the Q Shaman, who was seen shirtless and wearing bullhorns in the U.S. Capitol during the deadly rioting on January 6, said in his first interview since being jailed that he was wounded that former President Trump did not offer to help him. In the interview, 60 Minutes reporter Lori Segal asked Jacob Chansley if he uh, regretted his loyalty to Trump. I developed a lot of sympathy for Trump because it seemed like the media was picking on him and it seemed like the establishment was going after him unnecessarily or unfairly. And I had been a victim of that all my life, whether it be in school or at home. Well, you're wearing bullhorns in the Capitol. So in many ways, I identify with a lot of the negative things that he was going through, Chansley said. I honestly believe, and I still believe, that he cares about the Constitution, that he cares about the American people, and that's why, and that's also why, and you know, it wounded me so deeply, and why it disappointed me so greatly that I and others did not get a pardon, Chansley said. Let's have a listen. A judge will hear arguments tomorrow on whether the man
1: known as the QAnon shaman should be released before his trial. Jacob Chansley was arrested after the January 6th assault on the Capitol. You see him there in an outfit that would get you in trouble in a 7-Eleven, let alone the Capitol. He's got face paint on, he's got horns, (laughs) buffalo skin, coyote skin, a lot of fur. He's telling his story for the first time from jail as he faces some very serious charges up to 20 years behind bars. Chansley spoke with Lori Siegel for the brand-new streaming program 60 Minutes Plus.
2: Your actions on January 6th were an attack on this country. Do you understand that? No, they were not, ma'am. My actions were not an attack on this country. That is incorrect. That is inaccurate entirely. How would you describe them? My actions personally? On January 6th. My actions on January 6th, how would I describe them? Well, I sang a song, and that's a part of shamanism. It's about um, creating positive vibrations in a sacred chamber. I also stopped people from stealing and vandalizing that sacred space, the Senate. Okay, I actually stopped somebody from stealing muffins out of, the, out of the break room. I also said a prayer in that sacred chamber because it was my intention to bring divinity and to bring God back into the Senate. But Jake, legally, you were not allowed to be in what you're calling the sacred chamber. And that is, and that is the one very serious regret that I have, was believing that when we were waved in by police officers, that it was acceptable. Do you still believe you're a patriot? I consider myself a lover of my country. I consider myself a believer in the Constitution. I consider myself in our founding principles.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of chatter over in the chat right now talking about the fact that this guy is a fucking nutcase. And the media loves to promote the nutcases, especially when they're supporters of the evil orange man. So that's probably a part of the reason why this guy's getting a platform. All right. Let's keep going here. Steve Scalise, just touching briefly on what we talked about yesterday with HR uh, 1. Every single American should be outraged by this. Democrats just voted to ban voter ID nationwide and force every state to permanently expand mail in voting. Well, as long as the Constitution is upheld, which I've got another story to talk about that a little bit later, as long as the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are upheld, they don't, he never has to worry about that because it's illegal for the federal government to step in on these things. Let's keep going. <clears throat> from The Blaze, explosive New York Times report claims that top Cuomo aides rewrote a report to change nursing home death totals months before the federal investigation began from Leon Wolfe. An explosive report released by the New York Times, a former newspaper, on Thursday night alleges top aides to embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo rewrote a report that was prepared by New York Department of Health officials in June of 2020 to omit many of the nursing home deaths that had occurred in the state. Uh, the report, which was based on interviews with unnamed officials, excuse me, In Cuomo's administration, alleges that the numbers were changed out of a desire to protect Cuomo from political fallout relating to his decision to order nursing homes to readmit patients who had tested positive for COVID-19. The changes were made months before the federal investigation into nursing home deaths in New York began. A significant development because aides to Cuomo have claimed that the administration withheld nursing home death data from the legislature because of the pending federal investigation. So... Good on the blaze for trying to keep this up in the forefront because the rest of the media has completely forgotten about this based on the fact that they think they're going to get him out for going after his staff and he's going to be the next victim of fucking MeToo. So, we'll be watching this one closely and see who reports on it and who doesn't. All right. From the Hill. Ron Johnson Grinds the Senate to a Halt, Irritating many from Jordan Carney. Senator Ron Johnson is grinding the gears of the Senate to halt as it seeks to move forward with President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill. It is just the latest step by Johnson, who is up for re-election in a state nearly won by Biden to burnish his Trump credentials. Whether that's by repeating unbounded theories about the January 6th uh, Capitol attack, or becoming the face of the GOP opposition to the coronavirus bill that is broadly popular even among Republicans. Johnson is taking a two-pronged approach to his hardball tactics. First, he's forcing the Senate clerks to read the entire piece of legislation, a delaying tactic that irritated Democrats and even some Republicans. Then he wants Republicans to sign up for shifts so they could potentially force hundreds of amendment votes. Johnson's delay tactics won't sink the bill, and some colleagues have been puzzled over what his end game is. Well, he wants people to go on the C-SPAN and see what's actually in this piece of shit, is what he wants from it. But, you know, the average American voter says, Oh, well, I don't have to be outraged about Trump, so I'm not going to watch C-SPAN anymore. I'm less enthused about the point being made because I'm not sure it really makes a point. It doesn't punish anybody except members of the staff and pretty much all hundred senators, says Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. He added that Johnson has the right to force the bill to be read, but I fail to see the strategic value. Well, it's because there's a bunch of stupid shit in this bill. And the American public deserves the right to know. Anytime they're trying to take information away from you, you have to ask and wonder why. And they are trying to take information away from you at this point. Senator Lindsey Graham gave the same caveat before adding, I don't think it particularly moves this ball forward. My goal is to get on the bill and showcase what's wrong with it from our point of view. That's the whole point of the vote-a-rama for me. Did he really say vote move, rama okay, uh, Johnson's move, rather, delays the vote for all, a process where senators will be able to force amendment votes and the subsequent final passage of the bill. Tim Kaine asked if he understood the strategy behind Johnson's plan. He added, I don't, and my Republican colleagues don't either. And, once again, i got to talk on the Johnson thing, because he's supposedly not running for re-election this year. Or, in the next uh, coming years. Supposedly not. I don't know if he is or not, because, I mean, he's from the uh, Beltway now, so... Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And now that he's tasted the power, now he might want to sit in it forever. And that whole thing with term limits that he was so adamant about in 2016 may be out the window at this point. But I understand what he's trying to do, even if the Democrats pretend that they don't. So we'll see what happens there. From the Daily Wire. Senator sounds alarm on far-left Biden DOJ nominee who supports defunding police. She must be stopped from Ryan Saavedra. Senator Tom Cotton warned in a statement on Thursday evening that Vanita Gupta, an attorney who President Joe Biden has nominated for the number three job at the DOJ, would make America less safe due to her far-left policy on policing. Vanita Gupta is President Biden's nominee for associate AG, Would make America less safe, she must be stopped, Cotton wrote on Twitter. More than 83,000 Americans died from drug overdoses last year, but Gupta wants to decriminalize possession of all drugs, even fentanyl. So do I. Opioids are already ravaging our communities. We shouldn't give fentanyl, heroin, or cocaine dealers get-out-of-jail-free cards. Well, if it's all legal, then those people will still be out of a job when they get back out. As recently as last summer, Vanita Gupta called to defund the police. Cotton continued, her allies in the jailbreak industry, uh, industry rather, who are clamoring for access to the Biden DOJ, are now trying to deny what she said. But see for yourself where Vanita Gupta stands on defunding the police. Well, we can have the conversation about limiting policing because there's way too much policing. But Tom Cotton doesn't. <laughs> excuse me, Tom Cotton doesn't want to do that because. As long as he's still cranking out laws that people have no idea that they're violating. Then he stays in a job. Once again, from the top, the problem isn't the amount of uh, the amount of policing out there. It's the amount of laws that are out there that require the level of policing that we're seeing. Sorry, I still got a little bit of a runny nose, and I'm not sure why. But... That's what we have to say for that. Uh, Gupta's statement says, While front-end systems, changes are important. It's also critical for state and local leaders to heed calls from Black Lives Matter and movements for Black Lives activists to decrease police budgets and the scope, role, and responsibility of police in our lives. Which, I mean, to go on with that, too. With a statement like that, I do have to get on Cotton's side slightly for this and point out the fact that Gupta wants to see state police defunded because... Generally people that are pushing for the BLM movement want BLM or Antifa to be the police. So it's not that they don't want police there, it's that they want their police. And you'll notice there are no calls to defund the police when it comes to the Capitol police either. So it's not that they they it's not that they want police gone, it's that they want police that they don't control gone. Alright, let's keep going. I got one from the intercept here Mitch McConnell working with the Kentucky legislature on Senate exit strategy from Nick Storm and this is this is the intercept so this isn't green check but I have checked out some of the bills and stuff on this and this does check out so let's see what they have to say Mitch McConnell has compiled a short list of successors in his home state of Kentucky preparing for the uh, possibility that he does not serve out his for, uh, full term Kentucky Republicans tell The Intercept. The list is topped by his protege, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, and also includes former UN Ambassador Kelly Craft, whose billionaire coal magnate husband is a major McConnell donor, as well as Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams, the former McConnell scholar. Under current law, the power to appoint McConnell's replacement falls to Democratic Governor Andy Beshear, but new legislation McConnell is pushing in the Kentucky General Assembly would strip the governor of that power and put it in the hands of the state GOP. McConnell's scramble to secure his legacy comes as his position in the party he effectively built from the ground up is increasingly shaky. McConnell's denunciation of former President Trump, even as it was accomplished by a vote of acquittal and a pledge to endorse the former president in 2024 if he's the GOP nominee, has brought on calls for his censure by party leaders across the state. A candidate running in McConnell's mold would face an uphill climb through a primary in the new Republican Party unless, that is, the candidate has the benefit of incumbency. So um, as far as this goes, who appoints the replacement senator does kind of vary between states. Sometimes it is the state legislature that comes forward and sometimes it is the governor. Um, I believe in my state it's the legislature has to vote on and appoint somebody to send before if it happens, you know, in the middle of the term. So but under Kentucky, that's That's a battle for Kentuckians to decide, and if they decide they want Bashir to do it, or if they want the legislature to do it, which is, I believe, GOP-controlled. So I don't think it should be to the party, but that's also not my decision. I don't vote in the state of Kentucky. So that's what I have to say on that. All right, I got one from NPR here, but I'm going to take a second of a break here, so I'll be back. Sorry about that. I wonder if it's just getting warm and the allergies are coming back because, I mean, I took cold medicine and it didn't do crap, so maybe if I'm supposed to be taking allergy meds instead? Well, we'll see, but we got to power through this one here, including one from NPR. Supreme Court makes it harder for undocumented immigrants to fight deportation. From Nina Totenberg. Remember, National Progressive Radio needs your donation so they can stay on the air and continue to tell you The Communist Way. Don't you want to see the Communist Way grow in the US? Give them a little bit of your money. No, wait. Don't you mean our money? All right. From uh, Nina Totenberg The US Supreme Court on Thursday made it more difficult for undocumented immigrants who have lived in the US for a long time to fight deportation. The court's 5-3 ruling came in the case of a man who has lived in the U.S. for 25 years, but who used a fake Social Security card to get a job as a uh, janitor. Clemente Parita was fined $100 under Nebraska state law after he pleaded to contest the crime of attempted criminal impersonation. The lower courts ruled the conviction was enough to trigger his deportation because it was a crime of moral turpitude under the state law. The finding, in turn, meant that Pareta was ruled ineligible when he appealed to the AG to cancel his deportation because of the impact it would have on his son, a U.S. citizen, and the rest of his family. The AG does not have such discretion, but if that applicant has been found guilty of a crime of moral turpitude... The opinion written by Justice Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court, said the burden was on Parita to show that in his case the facts did not amount to moral turpitude and that he had failed to do that. And that's the problem that I have with this right there. That's it. Because we go back to the Bill of Rights and the founders and the way that they believed our rights came. The burden of proof falls on Parita to prove that this is a crime that was of mor- uh, was not a moral turpitude, essentially. The burden of proof falls on the defendant. I had to count my words for that one. Those are the scariest eight words in the English language. The burden of proof falls on the defendant. No, that's not the way our Constitution or our criminal justice was designed. And I don't care if you're an illegal immigrant or if you are a natural born citizen who's been here and can trace his family's lineage through 25 different Native American tribes who've been here for 7,000 years. I don't care about any of that. Your rights didn't come from the government. They came from God. That includes the right that you are innocent until proven guilty. You do not have to prove a goddamn thing to the courts. I don't care if you're an illegal immigrant or not. You do not have to prove a damn thing to the courts. The courts have to prove your guilt and the standing of your guilt. Not the other way around. So, definitely something to look into as far as uh, the constitutionality of this. I don't buy into any of it. Especially when it is somebody that's going back after the government and suing the government. And yes, it is still somebody out suing the government, but no. It is the burden of proof is not on Pareta to do anything to the federal government. It's the or any government anywhere in between. The burden of proof is on the government, always, by default. No matter what. Alright. So That's what we have to say with that. From the Daily Wire, Biden union blunder reveals the truth behind big labor from Aaron Weath. President Biden appears to struggle with the English language, providing a never-ending supply of fodder for his many critics. But a two-minute video recently posted to Twitter does far more than highlight Biden's linguistic struggles or offer further empty promises in it. The president veers accidentally into a candid topic which will worry his friends in the country's government employee unions. Let's have a listen.
3: I have long said America wasn't built by Wall Street, it was built by the middle class, and unions built the middle class. Unions put power in the hands of workers, they level the playing field, they give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages protections from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. I've made it clear, made it clear when I was running, that my administration's policy would be to support unions organizing and the right to collectively bargain. I'm keeping that promise. You should all remember, the National Labor Relations Act didn't just say that unions are allowed to exist it said that we should encourage unions. So let me be really clear. It's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union. But let me be even more clear. It's not up to an employer to decide that either. The choice to join a union is up to the workers, full stop, full stop. Today and over the next few days and weeks, workers
0: all right, and that's, that's the point that uh, Daily Wire is trying to get to here, and honestly, this completely backtracks the basic mission statement of the union, for that matter. Referring to Amazon employees in Alabama under pressure to unionize, the self-described best friend of labor has ever had in the White House fulminated, Let me be clear, it's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union, but let me be even more clear, it's not up to an employer to decide that either. The choice to join a union is up to the workers. Full stop. Full stop. While he is correct, the problem is not Biden's word, but his intent and actions. In this case, the president is all for workers having a right to choose for themselves whether to unionize, as long as they decide in the affirmative, that is. For example, prior to the election, Joe Biden had no use whatsoever for right-to-work laws, you know, the ones that uh, safeguard the rights of workers to join a union or not. Likewise, Biden openly disagreed with the 2018 Supreme Court decision Janus v. AFSCME that finally affirmed the right of the state and local government employees to not pay a union as a condition of employment. Then he promised to invalidate the decision by executive order, if need be, in order to force every public sector employee back into the union entrapment. Big labor and big tech, both uh, bastions of left-wing progressivism, come down on opposite sides of Biden's blunder. Big labor, which has been steadily losing members in the private sector for decades, would like for everyone to be forced into a labor union and therefore required to pay dues that fund their lavish lifestyles and radical agenda. Big tech, in particular Amazon, has been fighting off unionization amongst its employees because although liberal is a delicate way to describe Silicon Valley, they understand that unionization kills productivity, innovation, and the flexibility to reward their best and brightest employees. And there it is. But I want to touch, go a little bit in a different direction from what Aaron Wythe had to say with this, because I see this in a different way. And I mean, Biden is right. But once again, this goes against the mantra of what the Democrats like to say. It is the choice of the worker to join a union and not the choice of the employer. And keep in mind the fact that it's also the employers who come out and force your unionization. I mean, we have right to work in Wisconsin right now, but Ebers is fighting tooth and nail to get rid of it. But if you go into certain places before right-to-work went in, I should say. And I've worked for a place like that at the bottom of the market where there was there were no jobs to be had. Working on a fleet for 10 bucks an hour. Working in a factory workers' union on top of it for 10 bucks an hour working on a fleet. And then watching one of my coworkers just get a promotion and a big pay raise because he threatened to quit one time. Which is not supposed to happen in the union. It's supposed to be everybody goes up, that they've got their incremented rise up. They force the union in there so you don't go out and try to outperform everybody else and then they have that level of control over you too. My biggest problem with private sector unions, public sector unions are a whole different story, but my biggest problem with private sector unions is that they are so often, because they are a mandate and a condition of employment for the places that are unionized, they have their hands in the payroll department's pocket. The payroll department is paying your union dues, not you. And then you expect me to believe that the unions are really going to fight against the company who's giving them the money. No. I am actually very, very amicable to the idea of unionization. So long as it's done privately apart from the company's payroll department. If you and your buddies want to put a bunch of money together and hire a lawyer and all say that, well, you can't fire us because we'll all quit. You can't fire me because we'll all quit and then you'll have no workers. That's between you and your employer and you and your buddies. That's between you guys. But yeah, once the company's payroll department starts paying your union dues, you lost me. I'm done. I'm not doing that. So, that's what we're seeing from that. I've got one here from Reuters. Civil War Trump attacks Republican strategist Rove who fires back from Steve Holland. Former President Donald Trump intensified his war with the Republican establishment on Thursday by attacking Karl Rove, a longtime Republican strategist, who criticized Trump's first speech since leaving office for being long on grievances, but short on vision. Well, I listened to the speech and Karl Rove is actually right, and I can't believe I'm saying those words. He's a pompous fool with bad advice, and always has an agenda, Trump complained in a statement issued by his office in Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, I thought that was Rove. Rove, the architect of the Republican George W. Bush's presidential victories in 2000 and 2004, wrote in an opinion article in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday that Trump's speech last Sunday to the Conservative Political Action Conference was wanting. Rove noted that in a straw poll of CPAC uh, participants, only 68% wanted Trump to run for president again in 2024, while 32% did not want him to run or had no opinion that probably didn't go the way that he wanted it to. And, I mean, Roe is right, and there is still this big rift in the Republican Party now that they think they've ousted Trump. They think they can go back to their basic neocon ways and go start bombing brown people and getting money from their big business buddies and pretending they're any different from Democrats. But these people are just after power. That's all that they're after at this point. That is all they are after is power. And you see it with McConnell. Now, people like Rove aren't just going to sit and bow down as soon as Donald Trump comes out and becomes the winner again. Hopefully. He might change his tune here coming up in four years. We don't know. But like we saw with McConnell, McConnell will go wherever the most powerful person is. He's like Sean Hannity in that uh, aspect. But those two are in a fight right now, so we will see what happens with that. I've got one here from The Blaze. In the last month, Americans' uh, comfort with the resumption of pre-pandemic activities has taken a huge leap. And we wonder why the mainstream media doesn't want to report on this. From Leon Wolf. The signs are increasing that the American public is becoming more and more comfortable with the idea of returning to normal activities. Like eating at restaurants, going shopping, going on vacations, and attending movies at the theater, according to a Morning Consult track and poll, Americans' comfort with engaging in many activities that have been too taboo in the age of the commie fucking coof, have took a huge jump in February to levels that have not been seen since the pandemic began. The poll showed 51% of Americans would feel comfortable right now eating a meal at a restaurant or a cafe. Forty-six percent would feel comfortable going uh, shopping in a mall. Forty-three percent would feel comfortable going on vacation, and thirty-two percent would feel comfortable going to see a movie at a theater. Those numbers represent a sharp jump from Morning Consult's tracking poll in January, when only thirty-seven uh, percent would say they would feel comfortable eating a meal in a restaurant. Thirty-two percent say they would feel comfortable going shopping in a mall. Twenty-nine percent said they would feel comfortable going on vacation, and twenty-one percent said. They would feel comfortable going to see a movie at a theater yeah no nobody is really afraid of this anymore mostly it's just a virtue signal and i see people over on instagram who are suddenly all excited about the fact that they're going to cabo they're going to mexico where we're all supposed to be locked in our homes and afraid of the virus that has a 99 uh survival rate and i mean these are not conservative people that are going on these vacations either these are I mean the ones that I'm referring to specifically are the leftiest of the left. And they're going to Florida and Mexico and Cabo and all kinds of fun places like that on vacations. They're not afraid of this. But if you come out and say, "I'm not afraid of this," then they will come out and say, "You're evil. You want to kill grandma." Meanwhile, I'm going to I'm going to get some tequila. So, That's where we're at with that. I got just a few more, and then if you guys have your last-minute messages in and want to get them read on the air, or at least your name read on the air, start getting those in now because it's Friday and it's time for the special thanks to everybody who chatted in the live chat. From local10.com. Man arrested in Fort Lauderdale with dresses the Riddler and Joker to spew online hate rhetoric, ADL says. This came from Midget B over in the Discord and. Usually I don't do the racist and the cultural stuff, but this one was so entertaining, I just, I had to do this one. A worldwide anti-hate organization has been following a man who was arrested by the FBI in Fort Lauderdale on Tuesday. The ADL told Local 10 that its center of extremism has identified Paul Miller, 32, as a volatile white supremacist accelerationist. The organization shared its findings with the FBI, informing them that Miller was making videos holding weapons and calling for a race war. Miller was taken into custody on Tuesday around 6 a.m. at the 1300 block of Southwest 6th Street. Known for spewing hateful messages, which are live-streamed across popular and lesser-known social media platforms, Investigators said he often dressed in costumes inspired by movie characters. According to the ADL's website, Miller dressed up as super uh, villain comic book characters, Riddler and Joker. As the Riddler character would say, Riddle me this before you go. I'm loud and obnoxious. I like music that rhymes. I'm a fraction of the population, but commit half the crimes before using a racial slur. And that's the part that Holt is going to clip right there. So, some people just want to watch the world burn, I guess. I don't know. I guess he got picked up for a weapons charge, too. It wasn't like he was picked up specifically for the fact that he was spewing the online hatred. He is a felon, and he had a weapon in his possession. So that's what he got picked up for. But, of course, the ADL has to celebrate because, Look, we got this evil, evil Nazi racist person off the streets. All right. I've got one here that I wanted to talk about yesterday. So... Dr. Liz Geordie Katzen says, Dear Glenn Beck, it's not fascism for a private company to make a decision about what they will and will not publish. Destroying the meaning of words is crucial to the success of right-wing agenda. Because Glenn Beck had to talk a little bit about fascism.
1: They are banning...
0: Let's have a listen.
1: They are banning Dr. Seuss books. How much more do you need to see before... All of America wakes up and goes, this is fascism. This is fascism. You don't destroy books. What is wrong with us, America? Go out and buy those books today. Find out if you can get them. Buy Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Because it's the end of an era. It is the end of freedom in America. They are banning Dr. Seuss.
0: Well, I mean, we're running into a corporatocracy at this point, and the corporations have more power than the government does, so, I mean, it is fascism fascism to a sense as well, but, you know, nobody knows what that word means anymore. It's been completely devalued. It's just a matter of somebody has an opinion of uh, something that I don't like is what fascism has become. But we couldn't listen to that yesterday because there was no desktop audio coming back out of my laptop. All right, from the New York Post, Michael Brown's father, Ferguson activist, demand $20 million from Black Lives Matter. From Ken Garger, The father of Michael Brown and other activists from Ferguson, Missouri, are demanding financial support from Black Lives Matter after the organization revealed it raised $90 million last year. Michael Brown Sr., whose son was fatally shot by a white police officer in August of 2014, along with the other activists who helped propel the movement, want $20 million from the group to help their community. Where's all that money going? Brown Sr. asked in a Tuesday press release from the International Black Freedom Alliance. How could you leave the families who are helping the community without any funding? The police shooting of Michael Brown sparked months, uh, months of unrest in Ferguson and helped solidify the national BLM movement. Which, by the way, the BLM movement started raising money specifically for the Michael Brown family to help them rebuild and help them cope with their loss. And now, I I don't know if they haven't seen a dime. But they're not getting the money that I would say that was raised specifically for them. So, yeah. BLM kind of cheated these people and that's what they do. They get the money. They get it all brought back in. And now they're using it for getting a plaza built for them in Washington, D.C. So, there we go with that. All right, then the last one that I have here, just to talk just a bit about our friends on the other side of the world. I haven't seen Mad Cow Mark in here yet, but uh, I know this is kind of his region of the globe. New Zealand downgrades tsunami warning after 8.1 magnitude earthquake from uh, Angela Duan. New Zealand has downgraded its tsunami warning after a powerful earthquake, struck the Kermadec region, uh, islands region rather, on Friday sparking fears of a tsunami. The 8.1 magnitude quake was the third to strike the area on Friday morning local time, according to the New Zealand National Emergency Management Agency. Residents in some areas received emergency alerts on their phones, urging them to evacuate now. As tsunami sirens rang out, the emergency agency issued a temporary evacuation order for people near the coast, warning them do not stay at home. The damaging tsunami is possible. (coughs) The Kermadec Islands are about 500 to 620 miles northeast of New Zealand's North Island. The east coast of the North Island, from the Bay of the Islands to wan from Matata to Tulaga Bay, including Wakatane and Opotiki and Great Barrier Island, are all included in the Pacific Nation's tsunami warning. So... On Friday afternoon, the agency downgraded its warning from land and marine threat to beach and marine threat, meaning all uh, residents who evacuated can now return to their homes. So, the tsunami's gone down. Doesn't look like anybody got hurt from this, so good for the people in New Zealand and their island neighbors. And I'm glad that nobody was hurt. All right, and with that, we move on into the last part of the program, which we... Thank the people who chatted in the live chat throughout the week and anybody for today. So if you want to get that last uh, minute message in, if it's sufficiently stupid, it'll get read on the air because it will raise the intellectual level of this program. But let's start with the week before. Starting with, on Monday, we had Chalaga, 1984, Ron Helton, McConnell Smuggles Coke, Music Man with two ends and the breakdown with Birkenhoff on Tuesday. Sully Blue made his return, which I was uh, quite excited to see. I hadn't seen Sully for a while, so hope he's doing well. I'm glad to see it when he can pop in, but you know, family always comes first. Ron Helton, Chilaga 1984. Nova three two three nine was here. I also had a thing fishy. On Wednesday, Quest Fanning joined us. Uh, Chilaga 1984, Sully Blue was here. Ron Helton, Seawall728, mod across all the channels, was here. Mad Cow Mark, our friend from the other side of the globe, was here for uh, just a bit. Novellium YT came and hung out with us. Death Priest was here, but nobody died. On Thursday, we had Sully Blue she in 1984. Jessica Green came and hung out with us for a little while, claiming she was here for the last five minutes of the show, but she got a little bit more than that because the show ran a little bit long yesterday. Uh, Ron Helton was here. Quest Fanning was here. R Volt24 showed up, and he tossed a little bit of uh, stuff in the Gilded right before I went live, but I didn't feel it was necessary to the conversation. We might talk about that on Monday, though, because apparently YouTube is scrubbing uh, Trump's speech from CPAC. I didn't know enough about it to opine on it yet, but we might talk about that on Monday. So look forward to that. We also had Mad Cow Mark, Neph- uh, Nephilim Ninja of Nibiru, uh, RH was here, and Ron Helton as well. RH and Ron Helton are two different people, though, I believe. Because they've got two different YouTube handles. All right. As of today, let's see what we've got. Ron's got his stickers removed. Quest Fanning is here. Hey, folks. Good morning. Ron Helton is doing the Trovo thing for a little while. Guten Morgen. Chillaga 1984. Holding the guard over on Twitch. Yes, I saw you were testing audio. By the time I saw the notice, you were offline. Yeah, it was just short because I figured it out pretty quick. I literally turned OBS off and turned it back on. And it fixed it. Yes, chat is still disconnected on Trovo. We have not had that resolution yet. I'll look into it again this weekend. Uh Spartan says, Ron Helton, will you be my DLive boyfriend? <laughs> uh Chalaga's come over on the YouTube side. Are you do you have a wrench on YouTube, Chalaga? I'll have to look. I can look right now actually. You don't. We're gonna fix that. Even though my tablet, the one that I'm watching YouTube on is slow as shit. We're gonna fix that. Spartan says, Bitcoin, 48264 current price. Yep, we covered that in the morning. We covered that because of you. Dash, 208 I don't know that one. Uh, oh, Dash is a great cryptocurrency. I'm unaware of that one. Okay, maybe we're not going to fix that because, uh, oh, yeah. Ad moderator. Chilaga 1984 is now moderator on the YouTube side. There you go. I would be ashamed to wear that uniform under the president. Yeah, it really does look like they're going to be sitting there and sitting out in the Capitol forever. And like I said, it's it's like Afghanistan. There must be oil under the Capitol. And they have to defend it. Ron Helton says, Babylon B, decision not to impose mask mandates in Texas has resulted in massive deaths in the Lizard Quadrant. Nice. Oh, Spartan. I'm not going to read that one. Oh yeah. Only mental cases support Biden. Most just don't want Trump. They love those mental cases promoted. Yeah. If you are normal, they silence you and lock you up. Chalaka says that dude looks so much cooler with those horns. If the shaman was normal, they wouldn't put him on TV the way they treat Julian Assange. Yeah, probably. Uh, Spartan says, I got a voter re-registration, and I'm not lying. The Democrat Party was checked off, and I've never been a Democrat. So he's calling that as personal evidence of fraud. Well, I would call uh, contact your state's uh, election commission then. Chulaga says, I may never vote in a presidential election again unless it is for J. Edgar. Huh. J. Edgar for president does have a nice ring to it. J. Edgar Ignoramus, 2024. Actually, I don't know. Is Stephen going to be 35 by 2024? I'll ask him. I've got his number. I'll text him afterwards. If they could steal an election, they can go after guns. That's probably true. It was never about Trump. Biden is a lifelong warmonger. I wanted to see the left completely implode with the second Trump term. I think a lot of us did. But the second concurrent term, because he's. After having it stolen from him once, I don't see him going back and winning first off, but. And of course, everything was above board, wink, wink, honk, honk, but. I don't think the second term non-consecutively would be as good for the country as a lot of people do think it would be. Now, I have other people in another poll that I decided not to put in here that shows that if Don doesn't run, then Don Jr. is the presumptive nominee. And I said, No! Chalaga makes a good point, though. Argument to be made that Biden could be better at waking the people up to the corruption. They know. They figured it out. They wanted Trump out so bad that they put everything aside and voted for one of the most corrupt politicians in history. And the person that she was running on the ticket with. They want anti-white police hunting white supremacists, which is any white person who is not on his knees for BLM. Yeah, Exactly. Trump did a pretty good job of that. By making the left go off half cock they revealed their duplicity and corruption. Yeah, absolutely. Quest Fanning is here. He says, Clever strategy, specifically because the average voter is a fucking idiot. I know name. as senator now. Must be good. Well, you know, that's... You know, I, I spent two years in the Senate, and, and I was able to become president, and, 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 and you know, I, I I improved the country. You know, and you know how I improved the country? I, I divided race. I, I made the race relations stronger, so 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 my people, my people, because Trayvon could have been my son, okay? So they knew how oppressed they were. That's what I did. That's that's how I improved the country, and I made sure that nobody had jobs because you know elections have consequences, and the government's there to take care of you, though. So, whoop 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 whoop. Facebook uh, fact check Dr. Seuss. I didn't see that. That's uh, fucking stupid. No, I do not have the coof. We're sitting right at that weird point where it's uh, between cold season and allergy season, and it all nestled right up into my sinuses. I propose when J. Edgar reads NPR articles on the show, we play the instrumental version of WAP, NPR's Song of the Year for 2020. I'm going to see if I can make that happen. Maybe it's on Chip Tunes. Full disclosure, I've never listened to that song. I never even listened to the Ben Shapiro imitation of that song. I demand 24 live cam on Biden. More important to put him on a live cam compared to any other country. I don't nobody wants to watch that. Uh, we got a nice long talk about the union, which I'm sure that I apart. With you guys a little bit on unions, but once again, it's it's the corp, it's the big corporate unions that I have a problem with. Like I said, if you and your buddies want to put a few thousand bucks together and put a lawyer on retainer, and then band together and say that if you fire Jim Bob over there, no, let's use your names. If you guys want to go out and support uh, support your buddies, come together, and then Spartan goes out to the boss and says, if you fire Ron Helton, we all quit. And you're going to give Chilaga a raise so that he's making the same amount as the rest of us. If you guys want to do that and put your own money together and it's not coming through your company's payroll department, I have no problem with that. Strength the numbers, dude. But it's the corporate stuff that's not actually doing anything for people that I have a problem with. And the fact that, once again, they're getting paid from your company's payroll department. Let's see. Grandma and grandpa are old. Their days are numbered. So they violated his First and Second Amendment rights. The ADL is a hate group. Racial supremacists. Yeah, yeah, they are. The corporations have more power than the government because they have influence on the bloated government. Yeah, they give a lot of money over there. Ban marks. Just kidding. Ban nothing. Exactly. And I got into that conversation, too, with somebody uh, a couple days ago, and Jessica Green was in on that, too. I suppose you want uh, Nazis to be able to be platformed on social media. Well, yes, because I can refute their arguments. You can't, so you want the government or big tech to do it for you. There's too much information. I want to live in a world of limited books and movies so we can all reference them to each other. Now... They canceled the tsunami, didn't they? No waves. Yeah, the tsunami touched a girl back when it was still just a little wave. So now it's canceled. Uh, Quest says, some of Dr. Seuss's representations are a little cringe, but not horrific or oppressive. What's the point of hiding it? It isn't good for informed errors of the past. Yeah. And Seuss was a flaming fucking leftist, too. And the other one that gets me is how important minority rights are for the left... Seuss was a Jew. Geisel? I looked it up. I I thought I remembered them talking about it when I was in grade school and middle school when we were doing projects on uh, Dr. Seuss. But I couldn't remember for sure, so I looked it up the other day. Yeah, Geisel was a Jew. So he must have that minority status too, but it's only the minorities that they like at one point. It's almost 13 generations. Today's the 251st anniversary of the Boston Massacre. 13 generations. Trovo stops streaming. Oh, it's still going for me, so. See? We've still got Trovo. I think kids should be trusted with a more clear message. Yeah, they do. That guy, RH, sounds cooler. Nice. Give me a book on insects and plants. Yeah, well, that's why I raised carnivorous plants, because I wore the binding off the book on carnivorous plants in my grade school's library when I was in in grade school. I wore the binding off that book. I checked it out so many times. And now I raise them. We are spicy this morning. You're spicy every morning. You've all got coffee this morning. Give kids an accurate real-life information so they don't turn out lefty. Yeah. I love fiction, but I think it should come later. Stephen Ignoramus just turned 33, so he'll be old enough by 2024. There you go. J. Edgar Ignoramus, 2024. Spartan says, I agree. Trump should step out of the picture completely. A man who became a multimillionaire on a politician's salary. From Ron Helton. Shillaga says, thanks for the wrench. You're welcome. Always helps to have more people as uh, the channel grows. And we are growing, by the way. Um, we went up almost 10 last week and then YouTube took four more back away from me. So, uh, tell a friend and tell 10 more friends to get some more people on over here for the morning shows and for the Red Net show. The Red Net show is really driving the growth right now too. So definitely come back over and check that out. But, uh, yeah, love to see more people coming and hanging out and discussing the ideas back and forth with each other. And once again, I know that at some point I'm not going to be able to do this and thank everybody individually. At the end of the week. But while I'm doing this, I want to be able to thank you guys who came here and helped build the show from the ground up. So definitely. Also, I want to point out and thank uh, Alec Ellis Moore, who popped in over on the Instagram side early on in the program and gave me a heart over there as well. So, um, and that's where we're going to call it for the day. So, thank you guys for coming and hanging out and chatting in the live chat today and through the week. There we go, let's get that started back up again. Started from the middle because I uh, stopped when I blew my nose a little bit ago and checked on the door, but yeah. Thank you guys for coming and hanging out with me and chatting throughout the week, talking about the news, discussing what's going on in the country and getting me some good ideas of what's going on. Like I said, I read your chat during the week after the show, so I know what you guys are thinking and what you, what's important to you guys. And thanks again for coming and hanging out in the Discord as well, putting your articles up and making sure that I know what's going on as well and I know what you guys want to talk about. Because I can sit down and talk about the Daily Wire and what they have on the front page for an hour every morning. But I'd rather give you guys the news that's important to you. So thanks for that. I will not be doing a weekend show this week. I've got some uh, family obligations I've got to take care of. So we won't see you this uh, weekend here. But I am going to be doing a little bit of work off to the side. I'm probably going to be doing some writing and possibly... I've got another solo video coming up in my mind as well, so look forward to that as well. Otherwise, we'll be back here on Monday for more contemporary and talking about what's going on in the news for then. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.